welcome back to Happy Porch Radio. In this season, season six, we are talking about circular economy across the continent of Africa. Today, we've been joined by two guests from Footprints Africa. Footprints Africa is an organization that supports small and medium-sized businesses to adopt future-friendly practices, address the challenges of growth and creating jobs, and using supply chains as a tool for development. We were really lucky today to have Joanna Bingham, who is the CEO of Footprints Africa. Um, She established the organization to support SMEs in Ghana and undertake research on circular economy in Africa. And we were also joined by Deborah Narty, who's a research analyst at Footprints, and she undertakes research on global best practices in circular economy and how they can be applied in the local context. And I did feel really lucky to have these two women join us today. There was so much good, juicy conversation, and I just felt like it was the conversation we needed to have at the start of this season in terms of how we approach our interest in this subject and kind of laying the groundwork for looking at the whole context of this massive continent with a rich history and thinking about the developments that are going on right now and how those developments might look in the future. Lucky is the right word. (laughs) Footprint Africa are doing a lot of research into this circular economy and its role in this much broader conversation and we I think got a little insight into that and they were able to share some really powerful context setting for this season and sort of points to help us understand African context and the difference between that and, and the stuff that we talked about in season five. Yeah, and it's just so important, I think, to recognize, as I think we kind of have done a little bit with season five, but even more so here, it's important to recognize that we're not just talking about a standalone development of technology or business models or whatever. This is a systemic change. And so with that, it comes with all of these extra layers of complexity and intricacy and also innovation which I think was really nicely highlighted by all the things that both Joanna and Deborah Mm, said with us. And we touched on really important, very big scale questions that are vital if we are going to have a genuinely open and honest conversation about the circular economy in Africa. Joanna talked fairly eloquently about the challenges of power dynamics, uh, colonialism and the history behind some of the issues that affect the reality of those entrepreneurs that we will be speaking to this season who are then creating businesses or initiatives in their local countries. And I think that, you know, we've mentioned this before, Barry, but our approach to this season is just to learn more about this context and this kind of section of a wider global development of the circular economy. But in terms of our positions, you know, as white Europeans who've never lived in Africa, (laughs) <laughs> I have when I was three years old in Kenya. That doesn't matter because I can't remember anything. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to stick with us white Europeans who've never lived in Africa. It's so important that this context is like where we begin this conversation because we can't just assume that that's all taken as read. It's so vital to this whole context, as we've said, that I just felt like this was a really great conversation to have today. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And sometimes I think we should record some of the preamble and post-interview stuff because you said something, I think, which (laughs) which was quite powerful. But sometimes it's difficult for us to be doing this, to be talking about a context in a situation where 
we don't really know anything. But Joanna made the observation that I think is something that we should embrace now for the rest of season six, which is we are the outsiders. We can ask the dumb questions and help ourselves and listeners to really understand both the challenges and a little taster of the sort of impact of those cultural, historic and paradynamics things which we mentioned, but also then, importantly, to highlight the innovation and the excitement and the potential to do things like leapfrog forward that these amazing folks do all across Africa. Yeah, it's great to be learning all these things and it feels like I'm going to use the word lucky again. We're in a lucky position to be able to ask these interesting people what they're doing in this evolving field in a context that is completely new to us and we get to learn all about it. Yeah, totally. So without any further ado, let's meet Joanna and Deborah. I'm Joanna. I am Footprints Africa, which is an organization that is on a mission to prove that business can be a force for good. We believe that with just some tweaks in the way businesses um, work, we can live in a very different world. And how we bring that to life is that in We run programs to support companies to improve their social and environmental performance using the B Corp framework. And we also undertake research, which hopefully is not boring and is designed to be practical and not just go and sit on a shelf. We are looking for role models and case studies of companies operate in a context the companies we work with can recognize to show what good can look like and show what's already being done. Deborah can talk a little bit more about the research that we're undertaking the space and some of the projects there. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Barry and Emily. So I am Deborah Nate, and I've been with Footprints for two years now. Been working on research in circular economy, and just like Joanna mentioned, the research we started with was a case study collection, trying to build circular economy case studies across Africa to build a collection for them. And so the ambition is to build 500 cases, to have 500 cases in the collection. As of now, we, while collecting the cases, we also try to produce some form of reports from the cases. So we launched our first report early this year, and we are working on the new one to launch, which is going to focus on regenerative agriculture. Apart from that, we are also thinking of designing a deep dive research where we are going to support entrepreneurs to be able to measure their circularity and measure their impact. And out of those two, the case study collection and the deep dive research, we also want to produce educational tools and materials from the project that we'll be doing. So that's about it and what we're working on. Awesome. Thank you so much and welcome to Happy Broadway Radio, both of you. I'm really excited about... This conversation, as the listeners will know, this season, the season six of Happy Watch Radio was all about trying to get a little bit of understanding and a bit of a handle of what the circular economy looks like across the whole of the African continent. So it's a really big topic. And the work that Footprints are doing, I think, will, I hope, give us a little taster. And it's really awesome. And also sounds like you're doing so many different things (laughs) that it's inspirational in that way, too. So let's sort of explore that broad question, if that's okay, as a starting point. How, from your experience working with these, looking at these case studies, what's the sort of state of play, if you like, of the circular economy across the different parts of Africa? Yes. So from the report, it was an interesting project we did. And we found, was it six key insights from the research we did? So we noticed that 
there was a lot of focus on waste over design and entrepreneurs were just trying to take the waste and use it to create new items or new products instead of thinking of how do we design the waste out of our system or out of our production system. We also noticed that, well, an example I could give for the using of waste is we have a lot of people, we have found people using waste plastic for bricks, which that would be arena recycling. We also have some who use, that's pyramid recycling in Ghana, that uses waste for the lumber and cutting hosts. We also have a lot of the value addition goes on out of the continent and not actually in the continent. So even though we say circular economy, maybe recycling and all of that, they have the basics going on here and then the rest have to be exported because we don't have the machinery and the means to do what needs to do to add value to it. Example of that, I would say, is closing the loop that recycles broken down phones. They pick these phones from low-income countries like Ghana and other countries, and these are exported to wherever they have their machines. That's the Netherlands, Joanna. It's mixed depending on what materials. So they have some in Italy, but they want to make sure that they're protecting people so that, that the machines are disassembled safely. They're not able to find um, places that can do that on the continent and also then process the materials. Another interesting point we saw was that we saw similar projects going on at different parts of the continent so that people in Ghana, we found Nitako feet in Ghana that was producing feed, the producing animal feed out of waste, that's organic waste. And we saw a similar work in, was being done by Ecodudu, which is also producing feed and compost out of organic waste. So what interesting point entrepreneurs were doing were they were not sitting down to wait for the money or the means to do the initiatives that they wanted to practice, but then they would use whatever they have to build machines that they needed for the product they wanted to make. An example is Kolikoware in Ghana. So they produce shoes from waste and waste fabrics. And what they did was they were not having all the machinery, so they improvised and they used a water pump, a machine from the water pump, as one of their machines they were using to produce their shoes. We also have pyramid recycling in Ghana that improvised and used their crusher to help them produce the plastic wood that they wanted to produce. So these are some interesting insights we found from the report. Well, we don't want to say that's generally what's happening in Africa, but from our report, like we, we titled it Secular Economy in Africa so far, that is what we saw from the cases we collected. And that is just the analysis we made from what we collected. I think the interesting thing to say, to look at some of the underlying causes for the trends that Deborah's pointed out, and a really important one to name is power dynamics. And I think, so for example, looking at the fact that there's a big waste focus. So we're thinking about the pure circular economy and the hierarchy of different activities. You've got your recycle and recycle being right at the bottom and several activities sitting in the sort of recycle domain of that hierarchy. And I would link some of the power dynamics in terms of 
for larger companies, the design is not happening on the continent. It's not happening for the continent. And so we have these amazing entrepreneurs who are saying, right, we're going to do something with this waste and who are kind of picking up the pieces of what's being left behind. So I think it, it's really important that when we're thinking about this context, and I'm so happy we're doing a podcast specifically on this context, that we are some of the underlying factors that are driving what circular economy looks like and, and that we really address those so we can make sure that Africa takes the amazing opportunity it has to leapfrog some of the crappy practices that are happening in other parts of the, of the so-called more developed world, that they're not then sort of hamstrung in a path of development by, by those companies in other countries. Thanks for that. Those insights were very helpful for me. I hope also for the listeners, but for me personally, in terms of getting that nice overview of your research and what Africa and the circular economy looks like right now, as you say, like so far, let me just recap a second. So you said there's a focus on waste and not necessarily designing out the waste, which Joanna, you can imagine was linked to the second insight of the fact that a lot of the value that's added actually goes outside of the continent and doesn't stay within Africa. And there was also a point that you made, Deborah, about entrepreneurs using their initiative and building innovative technology and machinery in order to do what they wouldn't be able to do otherwise in terms of this circularity. Is that something I missed? Mm, we also spoke about the parallel evolution. Similar businesses happen across countries. Mm, yeah. So across the continent, there's lots of simultaneous development in this sector. Thanks. That was a really helpful overview to begin with. And I liked what you said, Joanna, as well about this question of the like systemic nature of bringing circularity into the economy. And that it's not just about, okay, let's just recycle waste. Like this is just a simple solution. We just recycle waste. We just design products that don't have all this material that's going to be waste because the whole context of the African continent needs to be taken into account. Is that something that's specific to Africa? I mean, there are obviously other parts of the world that are also developing their circular economy. What do you think is kind of a particular to the African context? One thing I would say is that Africa is multiple contexts, but Africa is a continent of vast wealth and incredible resources, and it is enormously exploited. I think that that's really important as a framing context because we need to move away from this kind of patronizing image and we really need to use the amazing opportunity of systemic think that the circular economy presents to give more self-determination to countries to evolve in ways that suits them and makes sense within their context of young populations, of resource wealth, of very decentralized populations as well with, with very rural contexts. So I think one thing that's very important when thinking about circular economy and the African context is that it's deeply linked to our global supply chains. It's, it's all of our contexts because the food we eat, the clothes we wear all come from somewhere. And that this point around thinking about new models for development, and new models for our economy to operate in is absolutely critical. And there's a huge opportunity and we really have to much more credit and space to the economies and the countries that are on the continent to determine, I think. I would say, just like you said, talk of protecting the natural resources that we have and being efficient with our resources. The main thing I'll just add is reformation of our behavior and perception. 
So I wouldn't say circular economy is new in maybe Ghana or Africa. It's something that used to be the way of practice, if I could say. You know that you're going to be handed your elder sister's clothing when she grows out of them. So it used to be like what we do, but right now we feel that's for the poor and that behavior or that perception is what is driving the increase in waste and taking it away from what we would have done to protect ourselves and our economy. So I would say one thing I would add is reformation of our behavior and perception of the circular economy and how we use and use our resources. I think that's absolutely thinking about that that adds to the kind of decentralization piece I was saying. In Ghana, I, I can get everything fixed. You know, if my kettle's broken, I'll find someone who can fix it. And like Deborah said, those models are, are not valorized. Those kind of decentralized systems of repair are not valorized in the same way. And people don't perceive them to be as amazing and valuable as they are in terms of keeping materials in use and keeping product in use at their highest possible value. And so I think there's definitely a rethink required there. Everyone thinks about businesses and really there's this kind of really corporate focus of like putting a business at the forefront of something and not seeing how this value of networks is incredibly powerful as well to delivering the circular economy goals. Yeah, there's a lot of good points in there that I'd like to pick up on. Deborah, I think the point you made about this kind of, I suppose lots of people call it kind of a thrifty lifestyle of hand-me-downs and repair and stuff that is essentially circularity. I think that's the thing, actually. It's like when rich people do it, it's seen as circularity. And when poor people do it, it's seen as thrifty. And that change in mindset is part of this systemic change that I think Joanna was talking about of there's an opportunity for the development of the circular economy to actually also evolve other underlying issues. Is that kind of how you see it? Yes. So... It's a general change in mindset, but it has to also do with social values. What society would say about secularity or what society sees as secularity or not. So even though the rich and the poor can do the same thing, it would mean differently when someone from the outside or when society wants to assess what is happening. So I would say yes, and also to say that society as a whole, which is individual people making up society, needs to have that change of mindset and that perception around the use of resources. And another example of that is, is around homes. So as more research is being done and we're seeing en- energy challenges, both from a and from an access perspective, we're seeing that things like mud houses are actually incredibly energy efficient and they have very good insulating properties and keep people warm when it's cold and cold when it's hot and you go to kind of the emerging middle class and you say have a mud house and they're like no I'm not having that's a poor people house like I want to have the concrete walls I want to have the tin roof and I want to have the air conditioning and so it's a really interesting challenge because people aspirations shouldn't be denied like everyone has a right to aspirations similarly who was supporting a community toilet in a school and I was saying to them, setting up a, a composting toilet, then you wouldn't have the issue of access to water. And she said, look, this, they don't want a composting toilet. They want a toilet that flushes. You know, they, they don't, they feel that they're being patronized to be given a composting toilet. Like, oh, you, because you're poor, then you can just have this like, drop toilet. Because that's what they're 
said, with poverty. And so there's some challenges and some barriers in that regard. Yeah. In addition to what you just said, so in the northern region here in Ghana, well, from my knowledge from way back school, we learned, you know, the build with the mud houses and they have a way they design it round because of the uh, weather, the place is extremely hot and that kind of prevents the heat from getting in their rooms. I mean, it's conducive for the environment, but then they are moving away from that because they feel they are getting developed and they are um, growing. And so people want to have the block houses with air conditioners and all of that. And just to call myself out, I remember I was posted there after my bachelor's degree to do my national service. And upon getting there, you know, people would suggest they were showing me houses that I could rent. And I was like, were you actually expecting me to take the madhouse? And that was the the attitude I had towards using a madhouse. So it is something that we have already accepted and we need to work towards leaving that place of thinking having so much means you are rich or you are high in society. Yeah, I think it kind of comes back again to this question of the value system as Joanna was saying, like where value is placed in a society is really important. And if there's value in a concrete house with air conditioning and not so much value in a mud house, then the kind of social status of it is inevitable. And kind of understanding how we shift those values, I think, is a really interesting conversation. Yeah, also, again, I mentioned about power dynamics. It comes back a little bit to that. So when the Roundtable for Sustainable Palm Oil, which was set up to avoid some of the environmental challenges and the, the labour challenges involved in the supply chains of palm oil, and they came up with certain rules and regulations, and Indonesia basically turned around and said, this is colonialism. You have cut down all your own rainforests. You've cut down rainforests in other places. And now you're telling us that we can't monetize ours. So you're basically pulling your wealth, and then you're not allowing us access to do the same. So if you want us to do that, then you need to contribute. And I think there's a lot of strong arguments in that, um, especially if we look at kind of the history of how our economies have developed. So if we are different countries are good on different paths, we can't just say, oh, you should do this. Given the nature of our globalized supply chains, we have to participate in, in supporting those processes. Yeah, that's really interesting as well. And as you said, Joanna, you know, if people don't want a compost toilet, they want a flushing toilet. Why deny them that? You know, like that is something that they want. You can't just say, no, you're not getting it because a compost toilet's more circular. And so, yeah, that power dynamic that's historic, you know, it's not something that is kind of new in this context. It's certainly not something that can be changed overnight. You know, it's a centuries old kind of tradition that keeps coming back around to this. I feel like I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> But I want to hear more about Footprints and what you do. Sure. So as I mentioned, we are very passionate that business can be a force for good and that can create value. And in the same way, sort of humans are not separate from nature. Business is not separate from the community and they have a role in the community. They share resources with the community. And it's really important that that's acknowledged. So we support in Ghana, 
with our programs, we support businesses to really kind of look at that and see what role they want to play and who they want to be in their communities. Then with this work we're doing on the circular economy side, what we're really curious about, well, with both the the B Corp program we run and with the circular economy work we're doing is helping companies to identify for themselves. So it's not anyone imposing from the outside how you should be doing business or what toilet you should be having, but what change you want to create in the world and then how do we support you to do that in a way that also can generate revenue for you because there's absolutely no shame in profit. It's absolutely critical for it to be sustainable, but also it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive with social and environmental change. So we are looking at different ways that we can support that and I think a big part of that we, we've been talking about is, is supporting companies to determine for themselves to see role models that are different from what they would normally see. So rather than your kind of, you know, your big international companies who may not be t- paying taxes and are certainly not paying for the negative externalities that they're causing, or the kind of local role models who probably kind of be people with big flashy cars. How can we create role models from those entrepreneurs who are doing incredible things across the continent in challenging circumstances where resources may be constrained and yet they've still been able to create phenomenal business models. So really championing those business models and getting them a bigger platform in the hope that it can get them access to what they need to scale their work. And also in the hope that it can change a little bit the mindset of circular economy because it's heavily dominated by a European and North American contexts and doesn't take into account the incredible opportunities and the different contexts that are on the continent. So for example, I keep talking about decentralization, but I think it's absolutely critical. Um, we have to take more into account um, rural dynamics and rural communities and support better resilience. And we need to kind of change mindsets in our global value chains and start to really having serious conversations about how value is created and shared across value chains. So that's some of the work we're doing. Um, trying to support those companies and and start those conversations. Deborah, have I missed anything? So while you're speaking, I you've said everything, but then I just a statement just came to mind, a cliche which um I used to say with my colleague Frisla and just to my friends, I would say that at my work we are saving the world before humans finish it completely. So I guess that's just a cliche, but to say that we want to look for practical solutions that are working, already working, and to share those solutions so that people can look at them and they can reform or improve on their businesses or how they engage with business and with people and the environment. Yeah, so that's what I would add. I think it is relevant that you keep saying people in that sentence because people really are at the heart of what we're doing. One of the things mm. that we're aware of, especially from running our B Corp program is that people create change and people create companies and cultures. And so a big focus of the work we're doing is, is working with people and supporting them to have access to tools and knowledge and also just support because the, the number of fires they are fighting on a daily basis is unbelievable. To be running a small business or a medium-sized business on the African continent, there are plenty of challenges from infrastructural to, to bureaucratic and, and other. But then to be running a business that also has a social or environmental kind of ethos at heart where you're trying to go above and beyond standard business practices they're taking on so much and sometimes they just need someone to say you're doing an amazing job and we're here with you because it's it's a lonely journey that is amazing and it sounds just to sort of make that a bit meta i was about to say that footprints are doing an amazing job telling them that they're they're doing an amazing job if you see what i mean (laughs) (laughs) i think that's really important work 
supporting the people doing the vital on the ground work. A couple of things you said that really stood out for me. First of all, Deborah, you're talking about that sort of cliche, the big mission, but also then really it's practical people on the ground doing these innovative, I don't have the resources, so I'm going to take this other machine from somewhere else and make it do what I want it to do kind of mindset. And then, Joanna, you also said about business not being separate, but it's being part, like in the community and people and business, it's all part of the same system, systemic thinking. That, I think, is obviously incredibly true in Africa. I suspect it should be and could be more the focus in my own context in, in Europe as well. I wanted to go back and sort of tie some of that back to something you said earlier. At the very start of this conversation, you talked about, you used the word leapfrog. And for the sort of last few minutes of this conversation, it'd be really nice to talk about the future. When you said leapfrog and when you imagine what's exciting or the future of the work that you're doing and, and that these entrepreneurs and people are doing in Africa, what would that look like for you? Do I'm just imagining right now the future world we have in mind, which we were designing the other time. I don't know if I can put to words, but we are looking at working towards a regenerative world where business doesn't have to stand on its own, but it is used for a force for good, like Joanna said earlier, where people take responsibility for the products they are making, for the solutions they are initiating, get to know how it impacts the environment and the people around them and how that impacts is going to reflect in years to come, not just thinking of the current people, but thinking also of the future and people to come after this generation so that we are maintaining and protecting what we have now for the future. This looks quite theoretical, but um, yeah. That's beautiful, Devs. I think from my side, it's both people in Africa and outside of Africa changing their mindset towards Africa and and what is there. When we talk about leapfrogging, for example, if you think about mobile money, an incredible innovation that is in many countries in Africa and not in the UK where I'm originally from, so much easier to make payments when I'm in Ghana. And that's happened kind of outside and alongside the banking system, which has meant that there's less brick and mortar banking required. It's much more accessible to many more people. So I think Things like that, giving the opportunity and really valorizing what's happening and what is possible because the dead weight of the linear economy that is kind of really shackling us in many other parts of the world is less the case in many African contexts. And as Deborah says, there are many practices that are still very close to people's hearts, still happening, that we need to really champion and, and change the mindset of to rethink how things can happen differently. And I keep talking about power dynamics, but it's absolutely critical. I would really love to see a rebalancing of power dynamics across supply chains, but also with development agencies and governments. <laughs> I try not to get on my soapbox about it, but it, it, drives me, it drives me mad when we look at our kind of very colonial history of extraction that we then come back with, with, with very patronizing aid to support the development of the countries that we've already stripped there. I mean, not stripped there, that's a little extreme, but I would really love to see some rebalancing in that regard. In some cases, it may not even be that extreme. I think that's a soapbox that's worth standing on and I fully support that. Unfortunately, and this is an amazing conversation, I really appreciate both of you joining us. It's a truly amazing conversation and we have, I often say this, I don't think I've meant it more in the past, that we've barely scratched the surface of the conversation, never mind the actual issues. <laughs> so... 
I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season when we will be talking to some of these entrepreneurs. I hopefully will be able to catch up with some of the ones that um, you've spoken to in your case studies and others across Africa. We come from this podcast from a in the past we've talked about a very European level of conversations where we're talking about technology and so on and so this season very much is about us trying to understand a very different context for us and sharing some of that story I hope. So thank you again for joining us and just very final question for those that want to find out more about the kind of work that you're doing and the kind of entrepreneurs and case studies that you mentioned where should they go? So we have a report which we've mentioned earlier, which you can find on our website. We have almost everything on our website, footsprintsafrica.co. But we also have handles on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. So on LinkedIn, you can find at Footsprints Africa. On Twitter is at Footsprints Africa. And on Instagram, at Footsprints Africa GH. Those are the places to find our work. For case studies that we produced, we've also featured them on the Knowledge Hub to give them that global publicity. So they are also on the Knowledge Hub. And we have designed a geolocated map with Great Arendelle, which is also on our website. And people can have a look at that. A geolocated map of circular economy initiatives. Joe, did I leave any out? No, but I think it's important to say that in the spirit of circular economy, we're always open to collaboration. So we are very happy to speak to those who might want to partner with us. And in terms of collecting those 500k, we set ourselves a pretty punchy goal there. So any support we can have to reaching that goal and to make sure we have as much inclusion as possible from countries from all across the continent. So it's, it's well represented. All language bases, we're, we're kind of a little dominated in English speaking ones right now. So we're very open to partner. and We'd love support in reaching those goals. Wonderful. Thank you. Hopefully there'll be someone listening who's interested and we'll definitely get in touch. Just a reminder for everybody, we'll put all those links that Deborah mentioned on happyportsradio.com as usual on the show notes. Thank you again. Really appreciate your time today and sharing a little taster of the amazing work the Footprints are doing and understanding of this conversation about the circular economy in Africa. Thanks for having us. Thank you both and good luck. Thanks for listening to this episode of Happy Porch Radio. Hope you enjoyed it. You can hear more of our episodes at happyportradio.com. You can also get in touch with us there. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you have any ideas or if you want to talk to us about something. We'd also love it if you can share these podcasts, review, rate, tell your pals, tell your neighbors, tell everyone. Tell your dog. Tell your dog. (laughs) Listen along with the whole family. And my name's Barry and I founded HappyPorch.com and Happy Porch fund and support the podcast. At Happy Porch, we do technology and software development for purpose-led businesses. And we are particularly excited about the role of digital as an enabler for the circular economy. So if you're working on solutions to the big problems we face today, problems like climate change and biodiversity loss and global inequality, then let's connect. Visit HappyPorch.com and get in touch. And my name's Emily and I am a coach facilitator and a podcaster. My projects focus on personal development, innovation for a better world and connecting with nature. My latest podcasting adventure alongside Happy Porch Radio is exploring the world of carbon removal. Find out more about this and everything that I do at emilyswaddle.com or you can get in touch with me at hello at emilyswaddle.com.